All right, open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18, 1 Kings 18. If you don't know where that is, go to 2 Kings and turn left. If you don't have a traditional Bible and you want to use one, raise your hand and one of these people will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. If you're watching us live on our online campus or you're at one of our services at the Brown County Correctional Facility, love you guys. Love you so much. So glad that you are a part of our family and so glad that you guys are a part of our family on this gorgeous, beautiful, drizzly, dreary, downer. Like, this is my favorite weather of all time. I know that's so weird. I love this weather, and every time that the weather is like this, I look at Pastor Sunday and say, gosh, God loves me. I mean, it's not that God doesn't love me when the sun is out, but there's just something about this. I love this. We, we lived in Seattle as youth pastor in Tacoma, and there's just, I just, I just love it. I love it so much, and so, so glad that you, especially you who have hair, who had to brave getting it frizzy in these moments, then, and, and you ladies as well, we're so grateful <laughs> that you're all here. And so if you were here last week, you heard me say that this series was kind of born out of this huge survey where thousands of people just kind of raised some questions, gave some topics that they really wanted to have talked about in church. And so today, as my beautiful bride kind of alluded to, I don't want to take a bunch of time in, in the introduction because this has literally been, I can't think of another message that I've ever written in the 20 years and the thousands of messages that I've had the privilege to be able to write and communicate. I can't think of another time where I've had more of a difficulty writing a message, had more of a difficulty in the whole process of this message, never had more spiritual warfare, never had more of a spirit, like of heaviness way on top of me. And uh, so uh, I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today about like a really, really serious topic because I'm going to talk to you for a few minutes today about mental illness, and I'm going to talk to you about the difficulty of depression. So let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you that you are you, that God of all of the problems that we have, of all the situations that we have to endure. Thank you that you never leave us. You never forsake us. You're a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And so today I pray for myself. I pray for my friends on this side of the screen and on that side of the screen, no matter where they are. I pray blessings on them. I pray that you'd open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts. God, we bind the enemy in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so I know you don't hear me use a lot of that language a lot of times. Some of you, if you're old school church folk, you know those words. And you go, oh, shoot, we're going to talk about some spirit. Like you're, you're finna get into it. You're rolling your sleeves up. You're opening your Bible to like, you know, like your favorite spiritual warfare. We wrestle not against it. It's like, so well, we're going to talk about depression today. And it seems like depression is showing up everywhere. Small towns, big cities, schools, businesses, governments, even churches. And I, I really got this wake-up call recently when a 30-year-old pastor of a megachurch in California took his own life, leaving behind three young kids, a grieving wife, a confused, and a broken church. And I was shook, y'all. I was rocked. I was shaken to my core because it seemed like this cat had everything. Like it, he, he had everything that you would think that you would want. He he was, he was famous, he had money, he had a beautiful family, a beautiful home, he had tremendous influence, thousands of people in his church, thousands of followers on social media, but for some reason, whatever it was, it just wasn't enough. 
He was hurting, broken, empty, depressed. So I decided that I needed to learn more about this particular topic. And I want to start by saying I am definitely not an expert. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a doctor. I'm not even gifted in counseling. I, I never wanted to go to school to become a doctor. My brother actually is a psychologist, and I saw how arduous that was for him. I saw how difficult that was for him, the weight and the heaviness that was upon him. But because of my role, I feel like I have a responsibility. And so I want to give you my perspective from my position, and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to show you some insight from the Scriptures, because believe it or not, Scripture says a lot about this topic. Long before there was Prozac or Paxil or Zoloft, a prescription was written in the pages of this book. There are some things that I have discovered uh, in my own kind of personal research, my own study. I want, I want to share that with you. And then I don't, I don't want to get beside the book. I don't want to get extra biblical. But I want to share you some things that in my digging in, in really years of research on this topic that I've come up with. And, and the big point is that depression actually is a mood disorder that's characterized by something called anhedonia. anhedonia. And anhedonia, ironically, is a Greek word that means without pleasure. And it's a chemical deficiency that hinders our ability to experience pleasure. It actually takes things that used to bring us pleasure and it, and it kind of sort of like deactivates those things. And, and when it deactivates those areas of pleasure, it then activates other areas in our life. It activates an area of extreme sadness, of poor concentration, of sleep problems, loss of appetite. It, 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 it activates feelings of guilt, helplessness, and hopelessness. And, and when I see any of those symptoms, I go, oh my gosh, like everyone I know is on that list somewhere. Every one of us, we all deal with like at least one of these issues at times in our life. In fact, I believe that depression is the number one health problem in the world right now. One in nine adults in America are currently on antidepressants. One in five have been at some point in their life. That's 20% of our population has been medicated at some point in their life, present company included. For years, I suffered with, uh, uh, I didn't know what it was at the time in, until I went for help. And, and finally, I, I, just, I just thought I was angry all the time. I just, I just thought I was sad all the time. And, and so finally, I went for uh, some, some professional uh, help and, and discovered that I was suffering from something called social anxiety disorder, which really sucks when you do this. Like when you have social anxiety and you, I'm actually an introvert. This is a very unknown fact. I, like I'm, I, I, like I just, I just want for like 24 minutes. Can I just be like a normal, like human? Cause I'm a total introvert. I'm like completely <laughs> freaked out by people. And yet God took this like um, weird, broken, um, seemingly wrongly wired human being and said, now I want you to like stand in front of people and I want you to talk about stuff. And then I want you to like have your wife come up. And then I want you to like run around. And then I want you to stand in the middle and then have a wave of people come at you. And, and, and like before I did this, 
I had a job where I did this, but around different people every week. So like now I have people that I'm comfortable around. And so like you guys make me feel okay because like I know you and you're not creepers. But like when you're like around somebody in like Houston or somebody like in New Mexico and you don't know those people and suddenly that guy's shoulder is touching like your shoulder, you, you just, it, it, it freaks you out. And so like I had this, this disorder and I was traveling the world speaking like in front of these, these like crowds of people week in and week out. And it was literally driving me insane. And so I was medicated for it. And, and my kids just found this out this weekend, incidentally, that I, you know, I used to be, Sonny used to call it my crazy pill. And so the people who I knew, they, that, who I loved, they knew that I was on this medication so that when I acted irrationally, they would ask me if I had taken my pill. And, and it all hit ahead one night in, in downtown Indianapolis in a steakhouse. When I, like I'm at a table filled with pastors. And, and the waiter, I, I don't even know what triggered me. I'm, I'm at a table and this waiter like gets in our conversation. And we're like having like a dialogue and then like he jumps in. And like he didn't know that he was working for tips because when he jumped in, he like he totally like started arguing with me. And like I freaked out, y'all, like at a table filled with pastors at the Assembly of God General Council and like almost like got in a fist fight with this with this waiter. So I paid the bill for everybody at the table, kind of hush money, so that they would, they would be silent about it. We, you, it's the second rule about Fight Club. You never, ever bring it up. And so like this was a problem for me, but I discovered it's not just a problem for me. Like it's a problem for so many people, and it's a total silent assassin. It's a tool. It's a tactic of the enemy, and he's using it to steal our joy. And by stealing our joy, he is stealing our strength because Scripture says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And the reason that it's a silent assassin is because it carries such a negative stigma. Like if I were to just like walk up to you and say, I'm not really feeling so hot today. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of feeling sick. I, I have a bit of a headache. I have a fever. I have a sore throat. I mean, like none of you would think any less of me. I mean, except my son Isaiah, he'd probably mock me. He'd go, eh, I don't feel good. And then he'd like make fun of me and I, you know, we'd get over it. But you, you people who, who aren't that close to me, you would probably not ever think less of me or some other person who was just physically ill. But like if I told you that I don't feel right in my head, or if I told you, you know, I mean, I'm suffering from a mental illness, you'd think I were Jack Torrance from The Shining, like, here's Johnny, and you'd like, it'd be the sure way for us to open up seats. But here's the deal. We have got to get rid of that label. We have to get rid of that stigma because it's causing us to hide our hurt. And sick is sick, whether it's in your body or it's in your brain. And it's not a sin to be sick. Your illness may be your illness, but it's not your identity. And, and so I want to talk about this in church today because church is like that one place where people look and they, they avoid it when they're people who are freaked out by other people or who would wrestle with something like this because at church we try to, we try to put on our best and, and we try to look good. And, and sometimes it can create this false image where people look at us and they go, oh, well, I don't want to go in there because those, those are like a bunch of perfect people and they, they have everything all together. But truth be told, we do not. 
We do not have it all together. And I want you to hear it loud and clear when I say that it is okay for you not to be okay. Now, God does not want you to stay not okay. And I want you to hear that too. Uh, it, God, God does not want you to stay not okay, but if we don't acknowledge that it's okay for you not to be okay, we'll never get any help. And so I want you to hear this straight from the mouth of perhaps your pastor, that it is okay for you not to be okay. I am not always okay. And, and so like, if you're kicking the tires here, if you're trying to figure out if Life Church is is a good fit for you. I want you to know up front that you have found a place where we are all, at least us who are honest, we're all working through some stuff. Where, where we have a few hiccups and we have a few hangups. Where, where we are all messed up and we all have messed up in some way. And some of us just happen to get to this hospital a little earlier than you. And so I want this place to be an environment where it is totally okay for people to express what's going on inside. Because if we don't create an environment where it's okay for you to not be okay, you're going to hide it. And that's where all the problems come in. Because secrets grow in secret. And so can we just start asking questions of ourselves and of other people? Like, bro, you okay? Like, what's going on right now? Why are you? And my, and my kids have gotten to a point where they'll check me on this. Like, you all right, bro? Like, what, why are you freaking out right now? Like, I, like uh, yesterday we were somewhere and, and uh, like I looked at Aubrey and I just was like, like I just had that, I just have this look that sometimes comes in my eyes. And Isaiah just said, are you all right, bro? Like, what is happening <laughs> right now? Just, and he just goes, he, he's kind of like, he's like my handler now. He's like, just, <laughs> just, just, and he's bigger than me now. So it's like, so it can be mentally and physically, he could handle me. He's just like, tone it down a minute. Why are you acting like this. And like, why have we, all of us, whether we're secular or whether we're in this spiritual connotation, why have we found ourselves in this situation? And what I'm discovering is that depression is largely lifestyle related. Now, before you tune me out, you go, oh no, like the chemicals and, and things are firing off in your brain. I'm not going to, like, just, just hang tight. Don't turn me off yet. It is a lifestyle related disease. And that is not my opinion. There's a brilliant TED talk on this topic by a guy named Dr. Stephen Illard. And in that talk, he says, we were never designed for the sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzied pace of modern life. And you go, hello, is that America? Hello, like, is that everybody who we know? How many people do you know are eating a Big Mac right now while texting and driving with their knee because they're late for church and reaching back with a hand and beating their kids? It's like, that's just, that's just America. And, and this isn't perceived. This is proven. Our lifestyle is physically reshaping and reforming our brains. So that, yes, it is lifestyle, and yes, it is chemical. It doesn't have to be either or. And one of the things that it's affecting most is our ability to process pain. We are trying to process our pain in private. And so I have this friend named Rich Wilkerson who wrote this book, like, almost before I was born. And it's one of my favorite books. It's called Private Pain. 
And I literally tried to buy a copy for everyone in this church, and it's out of print. And I called him, and I said, uh, will you reprint this book? And he said that he would reprint it for us. But I said, can you have it done by Sunday? This was Wednesday. And <laughs> he's like, Shawnee, the book was written in 1976. I'm like, yeah, this is so dope. This book is it's so great. We are not designed to process our pain in private. And because we do that, we then try to self-medicate. And we self-medicate by trying to eat it away or drink it away or smoke it away or watch it away. And our seclusion is just adding to our struggles. And then add to the fact this generation's insistence on having peer-to-peer mentoring, it then just swells the storm to tsunami proportions. We were never meant to have peer-to-peer mentoring. If you were to take 15-year-old me and I were to listen to all the other 15-year-olds that were in my life when I was 15 years old, I would not be standing on this stage today. God never designed kids to mentor each other through Instagram, Snapchat, or YouTube. They can entertain each other through those things, but they were never meant to mentor each other. It was always God's plan for us to have elder-to-youth mentoring, but that hit a roadblock when such a huge percentage of our older generation became arrested in development and refused to grow up. And so I am challenging all of you grown older people in this place to get in the game. Get into the lives of younger people because they want it. They cherish it. They desire it. They desperately need to be mentored, to be taught, to be trained. In fact, we are relaunching Catalyst, our student ministry in the fall, and these kids need you. So if like, you have a calling to, to teen ministry, please talk to Pastor Brady, our teen pastor, because too many of us have stood by, wrung our hands, and complained while allowing the creation of a selfie generation. And it has gotten totally and completely out of control, and we are too focused on ourselves. And it is reshaping and reforming our brains, and the results are deadly, literally. Did you know that the suicide rate is double the murder rate? Over a million people per year take their own lives. It's the number one killer of kids between the ages of 15 and 24. That's why I had apologized for not talking about this sooner. And can I tell you that I've been there? Even though suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem, I have inexplicably had those same thoughts. I have struggled with, I have wrestled with these thoughts hiding my hurt, hoping that healing would come down from heaven. Can I tell you that sometimes you don't need to be having hands laid on you. You need to lay on a couch and talk to somebody and have conversations with somebody about what's genuinely going on in you. And trust me, I believe in the power of prayer. I believe that somebody can lay hands on you and you can become sane just as easily as you can grow an arm out of nowhere. But I also think that God gave us doctors and he gave us chiropractors and he gave us counselors and he gave us psychiatrists and psychologists. All of those things because he knew that some of us would not have the faith to receive the gift of healing that he was going to give to us. And so I know that like, there's going to be a group of people who are going to be in here. I knew it. I knew he was going to talk about depression and he was going to say, all you got to do is come and lay it at the feet of the cross. Nope, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, yes, you got to lay it at the feet of the cross. And sometimes you got to have your counselor lay the other half of it down with you. And so, so many of us have spent so much time hiding our emotions. And so like you, for a long time, my emotions just would come crashing in like a wave and a wave 
and a wave and a wave, and I was rolled, and I was rocked by the force of those waves, losing my footing, losing my breath, losing my sight of the shore, feeling like I was being swept out to sea until finally I spoke up. And when I finally spoke up, sanity spoke back. And it said, just like the waves crashed in, they have to recede. They will never stay. They ebb and they flow. They roll in and they recede. So listen to me because somebody's life literally depends on you hearing this statement. Do not give up. Do not give in. You do not have to end your life to end your pain. And I understand. Trust me. I understand. And I know that your pain is real, but I also know that it will recede. And if you don't have anyone to talk to, or if you just want to remain anonymous like I did for two decades, would you just write this number down? It's 1-800-273-TALK. 1-800-273-8255. That's the National Suicide Prevention Line. And there are trained professionals who are there like right now, like 24 hours a day, and all they want to do is listen to you and help you. Now, that was my thoughts. But what are God's thoughts? Because I want you to know that God is not silent on this subject because some of the greatest people of faith were people who went through very trying, tormenting, distressing, depression-type times. In fact, there's an entire book in this book called Lamentations where the author, Jeremiah, just talks about his depression. He just cries the whole book. And you read it and you're like, oh, if you're already depressed, skip that one and go to Proverbs. I'm just saying. You gotta be in good spirits before you read Lamentations. It just, it's like, let me just share one section of it. This is from chapter 3. Jeremiah says, I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten. Let me pause because that's a really important word. You need to be careful what you forget. He said, I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone. And all that I had hoped for from the Lord, which is a really dangerous place to be and where your hopes are gone. So watch this. I remember my affliction and my wandering, my bitterness and my gall, which is his problem, by the way. He, he's doing what psychologists call ruminating. And you can look it up and you can study it on, on your own time if you want to. But it's a disorder that we create where we just sit and we think. And I do that all the time. I'm guilty as charged. And we don't allow outside voices into our head. And so we have this self-talk. And when we're in our self-talk, we start creating things that just aren't true, ruminating. It's the same word where we get the idea of a cow chewing its cud. We chew it, swallow it, regurgitate it. Chew it, swallow it, regurgitate it. My mom is a chew it, swallow it, regurgitate it. My dad is a chew it, swallow it, regurgitate it. You know, my wife, my husband, my kids, my boss, chew it, swallow it, regurgitate it, and you start lying to yourself. You start ruminating, and you start remembering the wrong things. And so Jeremiah says, I remember them, his problems. And my soul is downcast within me. And you go, of course it is. You're just regurgitating it. You're just remembering the wrong things. Like Jeremiah, like you're a prophet. Has nothing good happened in your life that you're just going to sit around and eat worms and die? Like it's just, come on, like buck up, little camper. Like, there are some things that we forget and some things that we remember that we shouldn't be remembering. Here's how St. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I was under great pressure, far beyond my ability to endure. Now watch this. I despaired. 
even of my life. Like, did y'all catch that? This is like Paul the apostle, depending on which side of the camp you land on, he's either an apostle or a saint, whatever. He's pretty dope, whichever one he is. He wrote half of the, like, the second part of the book, and yet he's in here saying, like, I wanted, a, I wanted to end it all. And he's having the same thoughts that some of you are having right now. And what I'm trying to communicate is that that's okay. It's real. He understands, and we understand. We actually don't think it's strange that you're going through this. We just think it's scary that you're going through it alone. And so I want to finish this talk with a story. And it's a pretty famous story in the scriptures about a guy named Elijah. And it starts actually in 1 Kings chapter 18, which is one of my favorite chapters in the whole book. Because Elijah had like one of the most famous victories in all of the Bible. He has this face-off with 400 evil prophets. This is on this hill. is him. And 400 dudes who believe something different than him. And so Elijah says, okay, check it. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to worship your God, Baal. I'm going to worship my God, God. And, uh, and then we're going to both make sacrifices. And, and whoever's God responds, we're going to declare him as the one true God. It was like the rumble in the jungle. It was like the thrill in the manila. It was like that thing last night where I don't know if you saw that boxing match that lasted like two minutes and 42 seconds that people paid 60 bucks for. So the evil prophets, they do this thing and they cut up animals and they put it on the thing and they build an altar and they pray and they say, Baal, you'll send your fire. And like no fire. It's like me trying to start a campfire. It's just nothing. It's just like Say, where is that like pressed cardboard thing that you buy that's green when you light it? That's, that's what they needed. They needed a starter log. And so what, here's what they do. They pull out their swords and they start cutting themselves and they rip their clothes off and they're dancing around naked and they're like screaming like, Baal, send the fire. Nothing. Not, not a spark. Not even a smoke ring. Nothing. So Elijah, being smart, starts to make fun of them which is exactly what you should do to 400 naked guys with swords who have already cut themselves and will obviously cut you. So he, he starts to like make fun of them. He says, maybe you need to yell louder. Maybe he doesn't hear you. Actually, in one scripture, it says maybe he is reprieving himself. And you're like, oh, no, he did not just say that. And so like he like says, okay, here's what we're going to do. This is going to be dope. Watch. Build my altar. And then, uh, hey, Jim, I need you to dig a ditch all the way around it, and then just you know, for grins and giggles, let's uh, take a bucket of water, and let's drench the altar, and then let's drench it again, and, and then just for good measure, because three times a charm, let's drench it again to where Scripture says that the ditch was overflowing with water, and then Elijah says, okay, that's probably just about enough, so he says, he said, put some fire on this. And it threw down and it burned up the sacrifice. It burned up the wood. It burned up the stones. It burned up all the dirt all the way around. God wins. Baal loses. Elijah decides, let's take it a step further. He has all those jokers killed. I don't know why. That was just the mood he was in. All right. And so it was like this huge, massive like one of the greatest victories of all time. And Elijah obviously is on cloud nine. He's like, yay, I'm the greatest. And then chapter 19 happens. And it is literally one of my least favorite chapters in all the book because right after the highest of his highs, Elijah has the lowest of his lows, which happens way more often than you think, which is why the devil always attacks me on Sunday night. 
He attacks me more on Sunday night than any other day of the week because we could have thousands of people show up to church. We could have tons of people start their Jesus journey and I'll go back and I'll spend the whole night thinking about one sentence that I think I probably shouldn't have said. And I will let the devil mess with my mind. I will let him speak death over me. And so I've told my closest of friends to keep up with me, to check up on me, because if I'm going to have my lowest of lows, it's going to happen right then, right after my highest of highs. It's why a few months ago I asked my family if we could just do a Sabbath meal on Sunday nights, because then I won't be alone in my own thoughts. Okay, here's chapter 19. Now Ahab, the king, told Jezebel, the queen, everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a prophet. She texted Elijah, and she said, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If you ever get this text, just delete their phone number, block them. If by this time tomorrow, I don't make your life like that of one of them, the people who he killed, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he was while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And so I want to leave you real quick with, with four things I see in this text. It's four things that caused Elijah to go through the lowest of lows. Here's the first, is that he had faulty thinking. And when he heard that Jezebel was going to kill him, he was afraid and he ran for his life, even though God was just with him, even though God had just given him the greatest victory of his life, even though God had just helped him to beat 400 evil prophets, he is afraid of what one person would do to him. And isn't it amazing how we will listen to the words of one person, one person that will ruminate in our minds. You will never be this. You will never go that. You will never succeed. You've always been this, or you'll never be that. And we do it all the time, and we get inside of our own minds, and we have this negative self-talk, and we start lying to ourselves, rehearsing the negative, ruminating. Rather than remembering our victories, we start rehashing our failures, wallowing in our worries. We start saying, oh, I wonder if this is going to happen or if that's going to happen, which, by the way, almost never happens. Most of the stuff we spend energy and emotions worrying about never happens. We rehearse it, we rehash it, we ruminate it. We rehearse it, we rehash it, we ruminate it. It's why Scripture said, whatever is true and noble, right and pure, lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things, which is why we do Journey to Wholeness here, which is why we spent tons of time, tons of energy, and tons of money so that you could come in and reverse your thinking. And if you will just do that, if you will put yourself in a position to reverse your thinking and listen to the voice of God, words of God, and wisdom of God, you can live inside the peace of God. He had faulty thinking. Here's the second thing that caused Elijah to like live in the lowest of lows is that he isolated himself. It says, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And that's danger, Will Robinson. He should never have done that. But we do it all the time. We go into the wilderness by ourselves. But life was not meant to be lived alone. From the very beginning, God said it is not good for man to be alone. And some of you guys have been alone for far too long. You've isolated yourselves. And you can do that sitting right next to somebody. You can be surrounded by people and still be alone. You can simultaneously be surrounded and secluded because you're silent about your struggle. And some of you are in this place and you have been silent about your struggle for so long that you have found yourself secluded in the wilderness. 
And so now your voice has become the only voice that you're listening to. But when you're not feeling well, you're the last person you should be taking advice from because you can't trust yourself. You cannot isolate yourself. It's why we have life groups. Life groups are not a luxury. They're a necessity. You have to have a place where you can be real. You have to have someone in your life who knows your secrets. You don't have to tell everybody, but you do have to tell somebody. Somebody needs to know what you're thinking about, or the devil's going to exploit your feelings in the deepest moments of weakness. And if you can get into a group of people and get real, if you can take that mask off and just say, you know, no one knows this, but you're going to be shocked to find out how many of them will go, really? I thought I was the only one thinking that. I thought I was the only one feeling that's why scripture says a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. We all need somebody to have our back because if we do, we're far more apt to be able to conquer our negative thoughts and our negative emotions. And if two is good, then three is even better because a triple braided cord's not easily broken. So whatever you do, do not isolate yourself. Here's the third thing that Elijah did that caused him to go through the lowest of lows is he was led by his feelings. He trusted the wrong thing. Feelings are faulty. They're funny in that way. They have a funny way of lying to us. Again, like emotions are like waves. They smash in and sweep out. And incidentally, it's true of bad ones and good ones. We cannot build our lives on feelings. We have to build our lives on truth. And that truth comes from Scripture. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so I try really hard to spend time in this truth every single day. For me, it's the first thing in the morning. I have a little spot where I sit and I sip my coffee and I have my Bible and I, I have my journal. And if you need help with this like Jesus moment thing, just go to the Welcome Center. We have these little manageable devotionals or like watch Pastor Sonny's Proverbs studies on Facebook Live. They're every morning of this month at 8.30 except on Sundays and then they're at 2. And if you miss them, you can go back and watch them on archive. However it is you choose to do it, just do it. But do not be led, or better yet, misled by your feelings. Here's the final thing that caused Elijah to go through his lowest of lows, is he played the comparison game. Here's what he said. He said, God, I'm done. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And we do this all the time. We play the comparison game all the time. If you have any social media, you do this. Social media is terrible for this because we end up comparing our most miserable moments to their greatest highlight reel. And you cannot measure life by Instagram. Nobody posts pictures of their hood sink with a caption that says, OMG, look how messy my kitchen is right now. They post their kitchen remodel that you can't afford, and when you see it, it makes you feel small. But listen, nobody's life is as good as it looks on Instagram. Not mine, not theirs, not yours. Could we please stop trying to impress each other and just start trying to embrace each other? Because as Pastor Sonny says, comparison is the great crippler. Or, as the apostle St. Paul said, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or am I trying to win the approval of God? Am I trying to please people? He said, if I were still trying to please people, I wouldn't even be a servant of Jesus. Like he couldn't be more clear. We cannot serve God and be people pleasers at the same time. So stop. 
Stop living your life for everybody else. Stop living your life for whatever picture was painted of you when you were five years old and your mama said that you were gonna do this or do that. Stop trying to live your life through this image of a father who didn't achieve what he wanted to achieve so now he wants to make you feel guilty because you're not achieving what he wanted to achieve. Like stop listening to wrong voices. Fix your faulty thinking. Stop isolating yourself. Stop living by your feelings and quit playing the comparison game because you were uniquely created just to be you. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. God said he knows the plans that he has for you, declares him. Plans for good and not for bad, to give you a future and a hope. Like you can't, you can't steal that from him. You can't steal your future from him because you're listening to the wrong voices. You've got to reach out and grab it. Grab that hope. Grab that truth. I know you're hurting, but healing is here. Hope is here. And his name is Jesus. Would you close your eyes all across this place? He's here. Before you can receive psychological healing or emotional healing, you sure enough have to receive spiritual healing. Like, like that's the first step. The, the first, like you... You're, you're going to spin your wheels if you try to fix all that other stuff before you go to the source. And the source is in your spirit. It's in your soul. And so today, maybe you're here and all of that other stuff is broken, but before that can be fixed, you say, I need to fix the spiritual part. I need to fix the Jesus part. I, I don't have a relationship with it. Y'all, I'm telling you right now, if I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, I would have been dead 20 times over. And you're here today and you are in desperate times. You are in dangerous, perilous times. And you need to take this first step and reach out and pull Jesus into your life. So we're going to give you an opportunity to do that today. We say it, it, it like this. We're going to give you an opportunity to receive salvation, to receive the Lord as your, your just receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. All that means is that you give him control and you give him clearance to rescue you. So if you're here today and you need some spiritual rescuing, in just a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond by doing two things. First is with nobody looking around, in just a minute, I'm going to ask for people to raise their hand and make eye contact with me. It just lets me know who you are. Once I've made eye contact, you can put your hand down, and then, and then everybody in here is going to repeat the same prayer. And if you believe that when you say it, Scripture says you have been saved. So if you're here today, you say, Sean, I am spiritually broken and I need Jesus to fix me. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and make eye contact with me today? Thanks, 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 thank you, thank you, thank you, thanks, 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 thanks. Would you guys just pray this with me? Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, I'm broken, please fix me. Come into my life, forgive me, change me, be my Lord be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, uh, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to take the hello card, fill out the bottom part, tear it off, check the yellow spot that says I'm choosing to follow Jesus, put it in the offering when it comes around here at the end, or take it out to the Welcome Center. And this is a big one. I want you to close your eyes. This is like, uh, I, I wasn't even going to do this part, and then, and then I was like, I really wanted to have people come to the front. Like, I, like I never do that. Like, I can never do the old school, like, full gospel, walk the aisle kind of thing, but this is, um, there's people here. Whew. You're like super wounded and nobody knows it, including your spouse. And you're, you're, you're embarrassed right now. 
It is not unmanly, guys, for you to admit that you're broken. It is like super manly for you to say, I am broken and I need to be fixed. Because some of you, your marriage sucks because you're broken and they're blaming it on something else. And if you just reach out for help, some of you are terrible parents and the reason is because you're broken and you're sad and you're masking it. So I wonder if you're here today and you'd say, Sean, I am like, I'm depressed or kind of borderline. With no, please don't look around. This is super sensitive. So if that's you, would you, can I pray for you? Just raise your hand. It's like a crazy, no pun intended, terrible pun to use. God, for my friends who are in this place who are with me, they're like me, like they're on, they're like on my team, God. They're on the, on the broken team. God, I pray right now that the joy of the Lord would flood their hearts and their minds. God, I pray against the enemy who would try to fight them right now, who, who uh, would, would try to lie into their ear, God. Help us be fixed, whatever stage of fixing we are equipped to take part in. Bless them, heal them. In Jesus' name, amen.